Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. If you know the story of Jacob, how many children does Jacob have? <laughs> right, right. Twelve is the usual answer because it's the twelve tribes, right? Um, but of course, Jacob has thirteen children. Because Leah has a girl. Leah has a daughter. Her name is Dina. Uh, So most notably, Dina shows up for most American Jews today. Uh, They know of her because they know of a novel called The Red Red Tent Tent. by Anita (coughs) Diamant. So the Red Tent is Diamant's retelling of the Dina story. And the reason I feel like authors like her are compelled to retell the Dina story is because it's not a particularly pleasant story from Dina's point of view. From a woman's point of view, this is not a good story. So um, lots of uh, feminist scholars deal with that, and people like Anita Diamant say, and we don't even hear Dina's side of the story. We get the male version of the story because that's all that mattered in terms of what this kind of a story and we're going to talk about why so we get only the men only their perspective we hear nothing from dina nothing line three dina disappears completely from the narrative the rest is done about two and you know on account of her she has nothing to say about it so for people like Diamant, that's deeply distressing that our foremothers' voices are lost, that they are silenced in the text. And so they seek to kind of reclaim her story from her perspective. And it's a very empowering, I mean, as hard as it is, um, in Diamant's version, you know, Dina emp- empowers herself and takes her, her destiny into her own hands. And using some midrash that the rabbis write about Dina, Diamant um, crafts this, this wonderful story. Uh, Rabbi, in the commentary, it yes, means sir? Dina acting independently. And I think that's the whole problem right there. <laughs> so, Reuben, you've hit the nail on the head, as always. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dina acts independently at the very beginning of the story, and that Therein lies the entire problem. She acts independently. So we're going to look at, at, um, at what that means. Um, but right from the get-go, tell me what you know about her name. Those of you who know anything about Hebrew at all, what do we know about her name? The law? Ha, 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 ha. Nice. Right? Dean. Dean. Always has to do with sometimes justice, but certainly law that's her name already we know something about the story right that this is about a judgment and that's exactly what happens um, in in our story Um, I want to take a step back before we even look at the text and I want to just put it in its context which is really really important to do when we're looking at especially stories that we have a hard time with as westerners and as uh, moderns um, so, trained as an anthropologist in college, like you know, I want to take the text just for one moment in its anthropological context. Um, when we deal in the ancient Near East with women, we deal with different categories of women because, and I gave you the link to an article that I'm going to quote 
um, this morning for you. It's a 30-page uh, article. And uh, in that article, we, the, the scholar gives a, a very lengthy description uh, of the different kinds of status that women have and what it means for the family and for the clan. Because women, if you'll recall, in the ancient Near East, in the ancient world in general, we're dealing, of course, with the ancient Near East, but in the ancient world in general, um, women directly relate to this. They are indicative of the status of the clan, of the tribe. Tell me what you know. What have we learned so far about that? What, what do I mean when I say that? Okay, let's, let's talk, let's be more specific. Women's sexuality slash virginity. Tell me what we know about the ancient world, the ancient Near East in particular, and how that comes to bear on a family. Isn't that part of the honor of the clan? It is part of the honor of the clan. Why is her, how is her sexuality tied to the honor of the clan? Tell me more. She can't be married if she has been defiled. If she's been defiled, according to ancient biblical law, there's two different there's two different places we see it. She might can be married, but she has to be married to the man who defiled her. So, because she's now not trafe. She's now trafe. She is trafe. She's now off. I mean, she's now not worth anything. Why? I think it goes to um, that how she was raised. How she was it, raised. Words, it would bring shame on the family because if she willingly uh, had sex out of marriage, it reflects poorly on the parenting uh, skills and their, uh, you know, what they're teaching their children. So this this is very important. This is a Western, modern understanding of women's sexuality, which is where we come from. That it's reflective of her values, her morals. Therefore, the values and morals of the family, if she willingly has sex out of marriage. That is not the ancient Near Eastern concern. It's not the morals and ethics. I think it's inheritance. It's about she is property. She is property, and if she's been with another man, you cannot be sure the child is yours as a man. Therefore, it goes to inheritance, right? So a couple of things. That's, that's for sure one of them is to be positive it's your child she's pregnant with when she's pregnant. You have to know that she was a virgin when you took her, and that's the language. You take a wife. So that's number one. The other part of that is her sexuality does not belong to her. So if she willingly has relations before she's married, it's not a concern about the ethics or values of the family. It's that they can't control their property. She's ruined the property of the family. That's the concern. If her bride price, if she doesn't fetch a high bride price, her brothers don't have the money to buy better wives. She is a value, an asset 
a link, an alliance former. She's very important because who she marries now determines the future of her clan. Because those are going to be kinship ties now. So she's extraordinarily valuable, the marriageable woman. The girl about to become a woman is on the verge of being extraordinarily valuable and as an asset must be protected. As an asset. She's only an asset as long as she has not known a man. Otherwise, she's a liability. She cannot fetch a high bride price, so she doesn't help the family. She's ruined herself as an asset to the family, and she's hurt their honor because what she's demonstrated to everybody is that this clan can't protect its property. And if you can't control slash protect, right, they're, they're very close, control and protect. If you can't control your property or protect it, is that, is that a clan you want to be in alliance with? Certainly not. If they can't protect their virgin daughters, how are they going to protect my sheep if we go into business together? You've already demonstrated you can't protect the most precious thing to your family, your most precious asset. We're done, right? There's no way I want a business alliance with you. Your priorities are all messed up. So this is an important context in which to understand this story. The the, um, categories of women entering this stage um, are also very specific and have um, implications for the family and for the level of, and in anthropology we use this term danger, right, that, that her status puts the family in. Every young female who is approaching being fertile, approaching menstruation, is dangerous to her family, right? She's a risk. She's a vulnerable place. And this story is about what can happen. Here is the danger and what to do about it as well. So when we see, uh, when we're going to look at the language of Dina, we want to look at the language very carefully, of course, of the, of the story. Um, she is, there, um, I want to talk a little bit about the, the terms that this world, the world of the ancient Near East, uses about women approaching marriageable age. So the Hebrew term, we saw this with Rebecca, didn't we? When she was called a na'ar, right? So na'ara, na'ara is the term used to describe a girl who is approaching her in this article that I was reading says ripeness, right? So she, she's approaching that point where she's going to be fertile. That is a na'ara. That is all that means. That term just means something about she's approaching a certain life stage, a cer- like biologically. She's a certain age. Bitula, we discussed this a little bit also, Tell me what Betula means. Pregnant. Maiden. <laughs> Maiden. 
And so why, what does maiden mean? What, why? So na'ara, what is maiden or maid? What does that mean? Virgin. Virgin. Ha, ha, ha. So this is what's critical. It does not mean virgin. It's unmarried. It's unmarried and menstruating. She's fertile. She is unmarried. That is all that word means. If we want to know her, the status of whether or not she's had intercourse, what do we know? What is the Torah add? What is that, the ancient language about that? It has to add, has not known a man. So these categories are important. These, this stage, na'ara, begins the stage of danger for the family, for the clan, regarding the young woman we're dealing with. Betula, she's menstruating, which means she's of marriageable age. That's all we know. And she's unmarried, right? That's her status, is unmarried. So if she's of marriageable age and unmarried, to whom is, does she belong? The father. She belongs to her father. It is his purview, it is his job to ensure her status as not having known a man. That's his job, his primary job vis-a-vis that girl, his daughter. That's how he protects that asset for the family, for the clan, for the survival of the clan. If she's been betrothed, she's now in transition. Transitions are also extraordinarily dangerous, right? Those liminal times where you're not this and you're not that are very tricky places. So this is a story about, you know, like, like for in the ancient world, this would have been like, oh, wait, you know, like already we know this is not good. (laughs) Like this is a story of a young woman. She's unmarried. This is not going to be good. Um, So, unless it's a betrothal scene. But if she's betrothed, she's in transition from belonging to her father to belonging to her husband. As soon as she's betrothed, she belongs to her father. She still belongs to the clan. Her status still represents the status of the clan, but she's bound by certain laws to behavior vis-a-vis her future husband. Right? So she's kind of, she's got two sets of commitments that she's got to keep one to her family and one to her future husband. Once she's married, she's the property of her husband. He takes her, literally, in Hebrew. Is, is the reason the virginity is important to the clan because if she's not a virgin, no one will marry her, and then she's Correct. not having children, and the clan doesn't. Correct. So if every, all the women were like that, the Correct. clan would die. Exactly right. Exactly right. All right. So um, so we're going to start the story, and we'll, we'll stop here and there, of course, as always, to talk. But let's, um, let's begin reading the story. We'll, we'll, we'll broaden out to our time and our world, of course, as we try to do at the end of every session. But for right now, let's read it in its context. We know that we're dealing with Dina Bat Leah. Interesting. What does it not say? Bat Jacob. Uh, ha, 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 ha. Right. Does not say Bat Yaakov. 
Isn't that fairly common? Um, it is not so common that we see the mother the, being identified as the one she belongs to. I first noticed that on the gravestone of my parents, my mother was but her mother, and my father was uh, Ben, uh, his father. So generally, no. On it would have been bought her father's name. Um, rebels. Yeah, your family are rebels, Ruben. Shocking. All right. So somebody read at thirty-four one. Now Dina, the daughter whom Leah had borne to Jacob, went out to visit the daughters of the land. Shechem, son of Hamor, the Hivite, chief of the country, saw her and took her and lay with her by force. Being strongly drawn to Dina, daughter of Jacob, and in love with the maiden, he spoke to the maiden tenderly. So Shechem said to his father, Hamor, get me this girl as a wife. Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter, Dina, but since his sons were in the field with his cattle, Jacob kept silent until they came home. Then Shechem's father, Hamor, came out to Jacob to speak with him. Meanwhile, Jacob's sons, having heard the news, came in from the field. The men were distressed and very angry because he had committed an outrage in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing not to be done. And Hamor spoke with them, saying, My son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him in marriage. Intermarry with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. You will dwell among us and the land will be open before you. Settle, move about, and acquire holdings on it. Then Shechem said to her father and brothers, Do me this favor, and I will pay whatever you tell me. <coughs> Ask for me a bride price ever so high, as well as gifts, and I will pay what you tell me. Only give me the maiden for a wife. Okay, go on. Jacob's sons answered Shechem and his father, Hamor, speaking with guile, because he had defiled their sister, Dina, <coughs> and said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to a man who is uncircumcised, for that is a disgrace among us. Only on this condition will we agree with you, that you will become like us in that every male among you is circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you and take your daughters to ourselves, and we will dwell among you and become as one kindred. But if you will not listen to us and become circumcised, we will take our daughter and go. Okay. We know several things already about what this story is about. Let's be clear, this, this story is not about Dina. Well, can we agree on that? She's a chattel. She, she, this, so what is this story about? From what we just heard, what do you think? This, why is the story here? What's this about? The honor, their family's honor. Whose family's honor? Dina's, Dina's family. Jacob's family's honor. And their property. And their property, and we're getting recounted here a memory, right, a story um, about a time when Jacob's family's honor was tarnished by an episode with a girl at this very dangerous stage, right? Right. It also sounds like it's don't mix with the other. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Robert. So... This is also a story about how much should we mix with them. 
This is a story about alliances. This is a story about how much should we intermarry with them and take their daughters to us and bind our material wealth to theirs. That's exactly what this story is about. Exactly. So remember that Jacob, this is not his land, right? This is before they have all of this land. He's sojourning there, Um Right? And he's, he's in the territory of Hamor the Hivite. That's where Jacob's living. That's who's in control of that territory. All right? What is Hamor in Hebrew? Okay. Uh, an ass. Right? So we're already told something that lets us know this is one of those t- tales, right? This is a tale about the ass and Jacob's family. Okay, so line one, as Reuben said earlier, the first two words let us know this is bad. Because the first two words are, Vatetse Dina. Dina went out. This is already transgressive. How transgressive? We don't know. Because we... We know she is not going out with the intention of meeting a man. We know that. Why? Because it tells us to go look at the, she wants to go see the daughters of the land. She's a young, unmarried maiden, and she wants to go see the women, the, the daughters of the land. What does that mean? What might she be doing? She wants to tell them to be spirit. She wants them to have do what she does, and as far as godliness and her relationship with God, isn't that to teach them what she's been raised in? Okay, that's a very rabbinic interpretation. Check out the competition. Check out the competition. She wants to go see who are these daughters of the land. What do they got going on? Right, because I'm from this other clan. I need to find out what the competition's wearing. Couldn't it also be that her allegiance, that she felt closer to other women than she did to her clan? So possibly, given that she has 12 brothers, 12 brothers, it's very possible that Dina was lonely, right? That she's not going to hang out with servants. So if she's got all brothers, no sisters... Possibly, Dina's lonely for company. Jacob's a wealthy man. Who's she going to hang out with? She, God forbid she should be sitting, what, with the people who scrub the floors and the pots? She can't do that. She has to, she has to, she wants to go see women of her status. She, what are they wearing? She wants friends. Didn't she, she think she's friends. fair game to be walking alone? So, well, we're going to explore. We're going to explore. So she's, she's young. She's 13, 14, we don't know, but right, she's young. And she, they live among these other people. She wants to check out the competition. Maybe she wants to see what do they wear in this part? Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't have clothes like these. Like, I need to know what the girls wear around here. Maybe she's lonely for a friendship. We don't know. We know she's going to identify somehow with women. That's her intention. But the minute 
We see Vatetsedina. We know it doesn't matter what her intentions are. And Mickey sounds like she's suggesting maybe she should have known better. Or someone should have known better. Somebody should have known better, clearly. That's why we have the story. We have the story because Jacob and his sons should have known better, should have done better. <coughs> All right. I'm sorry. Vayar Otashchem. Ben Chamor Hachivi Nesihaaret. So Shem, the son of Chamor the Hivite, who is prince of the land, sees her. Vayikachota, and he takes her. Vayishkavota, and he lies with her. Vayana, and he humiliates her. All right. This is where scholars start their arguments about what happened. If they care about what happened. Often it's like it doesn't really matter. It's done. You know, like who cares? But if you want to argue, like Anita Diamant does, that there's no evidence here that he laid with her by force, you can argue that. If you want to argue he laid with her by force, you can argue that. The Hebrew is just ambiguous enough for there to be arguments, good arguments on either side. So I'll give you just a couple of the arguments on either side. Rabbi, I was going to ask, what humiliate is a, an exact translation? Uh, it's a better translation than what my JPS translation has, which is he laid with her by force. Why would a young but, girl but want to have humiliated sex? Humiliated was the last thing you read, that word. So to... to um, if I don't use humiliate, it would be um, to denigrate her. Okay. So, and, and I use that on purpose. Tikva Freimerkensky, my teacher of blessed memory, my biblical year teacher, um, who was one of the world's experts on uh, Hebrew, proto-Hebrew, which is Akkadian and Sumerian. They would go to her when they found shards to translate. She, so she's an expert in the, she was an expert in the parent languages of Hebrew and a feminist scholar, right? So she's very versed in laws and customs relating to women of the ancient Near East, argues, so for me it has great authority, that that word that we just said, denigrated, it's important for her that that word follows the sexual act. She argues that if he raped her, that word would have come first. The that, or the right? that the denigrated would have come before the sexual act. That, that reading it this way, he took her, he lay with her, and we could put in English in parentheses, thereby denigrate. The consequence, thank you, is that she's denigrated. It doesn't matter if it was consensual, is Freimerkensky's point. It doesn't matter. This doesn't mean... She was taken by force. It means the consequence of the act, regardless of how it happened, is that she was, in fact, de facto ruined, humiliated, denigrated. Does that mean that there really isn't a functional rape at all? That it's always, the woman is always looked at as defiled, as, and so that whoever the... Salem is. It matters not. Really. So that's a good. It's a very good question. Um, 
So what the rape map, she's always ruined. Always. 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 Regardless. Whether it's consensual or rape, she's always ruined. He, so then, then the question becomes, if we're going to look at, okay, what's the status of male sexuality and male sexual behavior? There is an understanding of rape. It's defined by whether or not she screams. If she screams and she's heard, it's rape. Yes. But, but then there is no mercy, though? I mean, there's so, no... again, she, she's ruined in terms of being a, a woman who has never known a man. She, she has no control over that status. Right. Her hymen's broken. She's done. So, out of compassion, you know, either she marries her assailant right. or he can pay her father and she returns to her father's house. But she's essentially she's still ruined. Ruined. So the question then becomes, what about the man? Anybody have any any guesses about the man's status in this whole situation? What matters in terms of his, for his sexuality and his behavior? You mean like if he's a confirmed rapist? Right, like what? What's he's he rapes her? Probably nothing. What's the consequence to him? Probably nothing. <laughs> it depends. What does it depend on? Your status in the community. Yeah. Whose status? The man. If he's wealthy or. Her status. And what does her status matter? What, what is her status? What is the status that matters? Is she a daughter of Israel or a, a hmm? different tribe? Well, she's a servant. It's not a detail. Is she betrothed to another man? Oh, she wasn't. If she's betrothed to another man, rape is a crime. father if she's unmarried. Because she's his property. You've damaged his family. You have to pay him to marry her or pay him damages and he takes her home. She's damaged goods. Or if she's betrothed, your crime as a rapist is a crime against her fiancé or husband. So then and then you have to pay him. This is not off. Right. So are we clear? She is not... Her sexuality completely belongs to her father or her husband. So the consequence is financial. It's the consequence is financial. Yes. Yes. You know, it raises an interesting question about consent, too, because I mean, technically she doesn't have the right to consent to anything without her father's permission. She does not have a right to consent to anything regarding her sexuality. Correct. So this question of rape. What does it mean for her to consent to sex outside of marriage? It doesn't matter, right? That's exactly, that's what I want us to be clear about. I want us to be very clear about that when we read the Dina story. It doesn't matter if she's raped or if she consents. She she doesn't have the right to consent. Her sexuality does not belong to her. I know this is crazy, but in, in the negotiations with the father, and about the worth of the daughter. Mm-hmm. Does the daughter who now is going to return to the father have a lesser value so the rapist has to compensate in full as though he married? That I don't know specifically. I don't know if he has to pay the full bride price. Bride price, right. I'm not sure if he needs to pay the whole bride price, but 
if he's if he's accused of rape, you know, if he's if it's proven he's raped her, right. he does have to pay the father. I'm not sure. I'm not clear on the law enough um, to know if it's the full bride price. I don't know. I would imagine it would be, but it's strange. Yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah. very strange. What what world does she now live in after all this takes place? Who is she? Write me that article. <laughs> Write me that short story. Right. I, that's what Anita Diamant did. Anita Diamant said, who is she now that this has happened? And that's what the Red Tent is all about, right? Is that she marries Shechem and she has his son. And, right, so... You had to tell us what the movie was about. Well, spoiler alert. You haven't seen um, the movie yet. So, so, that's, so that's what she does. Isn't she's, the better story what happens to her if she doesn't marry Shechem? And has to so. live with 12 brothers as a despoiled woman who didn't get full value. That's a really depressing story. Is it? A- <laughs> that's a really David depressing story. So um, I'm, that, I'm sure that's why she didn't choose to write that one. But I kind of think it would be an interesting story to have Dina not marry Shechem yeah. and, and figure something else out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, go get revenge. Oh, go get revenge. Right? Well, we, we see some revenge, yeah, don't we? Absolutely. All right. Well, back that's the movie. Does remain single? Chop his head off. That's considered better. So we're going to see what they decide. We're going to see what they decide. So. I have a question. Yes. Why wasn't she armed? Why wasn't she what? Armed. Armed? Because she shouldn't have been out there well, without her brothers. But if she went out, if a man went out, he would be armed. So if she knew enough to take a sword, she already knows she's in danger and she better know how to use that sword and my bet is she doesn't. She has no idea how to defend herself. 13 year old girls don't defend themselves in the ancient world. So either she's, so then we have to ask the question, why did she go out by herself? So what are the possible answers? Unarmed, alone, unescorted. Why? She's an adolescent. She's curious. She's an adolescent. Maybe she's slow. Maybe you know, but her frontal lobes have not, as we know, come online fully yet. Right? They don't. They're not fully developed till you're like 23, 24. <coughs> she's impetuous. She's young. She's naive. She's maybe willful. Maybe rebellious. Maybe she climbed over the fence. To go hang out with the local girls, smoke cigarettes, right? Like, so we we can fill in all kinds of possibilities. We don't know because it's not her story. That's not what's important. But as you said, this story isn't about her. It's about the family. Correct. That's exactly right. It's and, how they, and how they and how they deal with it. Yes. And she's just kind of a pawn. Exactly. So. So another argument against it being rape is that he's drawn, it says, the text says he's drawn to her and he loves her. That's afterwards. Afterwards. If it was rape, most like, I'm not arguing this is true, I'm saying one could argue most likely when a rapist rapes, it's not sex, it's rage, it's power, it's humiliation, it's, you know, it's dominance. It's ra- rarely does, she, does the rapist then turn to the girl in love and speak, you know, words of, you know, so that's one argument against it being rape. 
Another one might be you could twist it the other way and say, well, he's just warped, you know, like he rapes her and then he's, you know, now he decides after he's had his way with her, he loves her, you know, like that's disgusting. So you could argue either way, but some scholars point to that this, it doesn't seem that he does it as an act of violence. <clears throat> this, um, this text used the word rape. The text that did not. The, yeah, the, so what did the green books translate it as? So rape. 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 And what does the red book say? Lay with her by force. Lay with her by force. Mine also says lay with her by force. And I just won't use that translation only because I've read too many scholars who argue against it. So um, I just think it's not clear enough. I'm not convinced that it's rape. I'm convinced it's defilement, right? So there's one, um, my book does call it, when it introduces this section, it calls it the ravishing of Dina. Mm -hmm. That is more accurate a translation to me than rape, um, that she's ravished. Now, whether that's consensual or not, we don't know from the text. We just don't know. Why would a young girl want to have sex with someone she doesn't know? Mickey. It wasn't good. Mickey. (laughs) Have you never met a 14, 15, 16-year-old girl? Yeah, but this is biblical time. (laughs) You think it was so different? Really? You think women's bodies were so different? I haven't thought about it. That's the truth. Yeah. Maybe he he was gorgeous. (laughs) Right? Maybe she doesn't even understand. Probably. What it's going to lead to if she starts some, you know, she's young. She, what does she know? But the girls have urges. Girls, girls are attracted to people. Maybe he was 18. Maybe he we was 18, have, you know, right? Maybe he he's 15 and he she's 14. And there's a flirtation and she doesn't know where it's going. Neither does he. How long Possibly. did this last in the sense that we've now come to the point that if our daughters are Berkeley, they have to say yes, otherwise it's rape. Was it the advent of women's equality before this view of chattels really changed? Because obviously the fact that she was a minor alone, end of discussion, you know, in a Western world, it would be rape, period, right? But was it 2,000 years while that women lived in that shadow before there was... So I'm not. So yes, it took the advent of the understanding of women being their own agents, right? That I have rights and responsibility. That's the Enlightenment, right? So the Enlightenment says I have rights and responsibilities as an individual. Right. So that whole movement that leads to citizenship, right? The individual has individual rights and responsibilities. That certainly is the is the beginning of women. Having their being able to control their own destinies. If we move to to German Jewry in the eighteen hundreds, were women viewed the same way? So what I was going to finish my sentence by saying is that's where it began that we could move out of that. We're not out of that shadow. Absolutely not. We are not out of the shadow that women fully control their sexuality and or their destiny in this world. Um, we live in a very very small bubble in our American culture 2014 most women in this world do not have and still even in this country a girl who who sleeps with a boy the consequences for her socially are far different from him they're not the same she, 
Have you ever seen Lisa Ling's program that's on CNN, yeah. This Life? Uh-uh. One of the early shows she did was an hour on sugar daddies. On what? Sugar daddies. Sugar daddies? Right. Mm -hmm. It came out during that that the guy that owns the site is doing this whole thing. He said there are approximately a million women in college that are now part of the sugar daddy family. They believe in themselves, they believe in their bodies, they don't care about the viewpoint of being viewed as a prostitute or anything else. They just, this is my asset, this is, I'm me. Mm -hmm. I'll do with my body what I want to do. Mm -hmm. That is it's a, just extraordinary. I mean, it it, it's extraordinary, and it's sad that we consider that extraordinary, right? That well, I don't know. in 2014. <laughs> the, the title, huh? Sugar Dad. Yeah. <laughs> Lance was like, wait a minute. This is a young girl looking for someone to support her through college. Oh, right. So, so we're we're gonna we're gonna close our our session with with going to this question of the status of women's sexuality today. Um, I just want us to push through a little bit through the text so we can get the full story. Um, so he's in love with her. He wants to marry her, and so he goes to his father and says, "Acquire her for me as a wife." That's normative language for start negotiations. That this is the woman I want. Start negotiations. Jacob heard. I forgot my glasses. Verse five. Jacob heard this thing that he had defiled his daughter Dina, but since his sons were in the field with his cattle, Jacob kept silent until they came home. So he decides not to do anything. He hears about the what happened. He decides not to do anything until they come home. Let them take care of it. So they, he's going to consult with them. They're clearly not home. So they were doing something else while Dina, they were working while Dina went out. So Shechem's father comes out to Yaakov to speak with him, right, to start negotiations. Meanwhile, Yaakov's sons get the news somehow. We don't know how because Jacob didn't tell him. And they come in from the field. We can imagine how they're feeling right now. There's one daughter. The clan has one daughter to negotiate an alliance with. And the brothers feel guilty. Ah, so now we get into Sarah's going to analyze the boys. Let's go there in a minute. So he, they come in from the field. They were distressed and very angry. Because he had committed an outrage in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing not to be done. So they are furious. But it was for the social thing that was done, not for <coughs> what was done to her. They didn't say poor Dina. Yes, we don't see poor Dina. No, it's an outrage against Israel. It's an right. outrage in Israel that this, this does not happen. We do not do this. And Hamor spoke with them, saying, so he's the prince of the region, right? My son longs for your daughter. Please give her to him in marriage. Intermarry with us. Form an alliance with us. We're not considering her damaged goods. Let her marry my son. And then we will have full alliance with one another. That's what you do when you marry your daughter into another clan. That, that's normative, right? You have... Interactions, they intermarry with your daughters, or this is one way it can go. You know, a full alliance is this, that now it's back and forth, and you'll take our daughters for yourselves, you'll dwell among us, and 
The land will be open before you settle, move about, and acquire holdings in it. You can now own property in this region because you will be in a marriage alliance. With us will be one you know, extended family, essentially. Sounds like a rich father whose son got into trouble. That's exactly what it is. And Yaakov is a wealthy man. It's not a bad match. For Shechem, I guess he's, it's not a bad match. And this stuff is so serious because honor killings and everything to do with that. I just saw a documentary was made, and this is going on today. It is. And it comes from all this it, thinking. This is one of the stories, right, related to all of that. So Shechem says to her father and brothers, do me this favor and I will pay whatever you tell me. Ask of me a bride price ever so high, as well as gifts, and I will pay what you tell me. Only give me the maiden for a wife. He's desperate for her. He's willing to pay anything they ask. They've got one daughter. They've got one shot at negotiating a bride price. She's been ruined. And he comes to say, I'll pay full bride price and more for her. This is the rapist saying. This is the rapist. Well, the father comes to negotiate. The son says, whatever you want, I'll pay. Even more. With gifts on top of the highest bride price you can imagine asking. I'll pay, just give her to me as a wife. Jacob's sons answer Shechem and his father Hamor speaking with guile because he had defiled their sister Dina and said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to a man who is uncircumcised. For that's a disgrace among us. Only on this condition will we agree with you that you will become like us in that every male among you is circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you and take your daughters to ourselves. And blah, 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 blah. Either do that or we take her and go. Can I just point out that they still have Dina. She has not yet been returned to the family. So she is being held captive. So, so one interpretation is that Dina is essentially being held, and what they're saying is, if you want her back, we'll pay you to keep her. <laughs> right? We'll, we'll give you if you let me marry her. We'll pay you. If you don't, like we still have her. Right. I think so. We're unclear. You know, there's a building. She has been held we, we don't know. We don't know, but... How, how would you conclude that? There's absolutely silent about this. There's no... We don't... It, we, we, so many things are... We know that, I, that if she had been returned, maybe it would be in the text. I don't know. You know, maybe not. It, it's just so we, contrary that someone who was holding Dina as a hostage would then say, I'm willing we don't to know. do everything for Dina. What we know is she has no control over whether, whether she gets to accept or not. She, she has no control over what's going to happen, whether it's because she's being held hostage, whether it's because... Either way, if they said yes or no, it's not up to her. It says in, in these, support of what and, Excuse me, in these gray spaces that you can write novels. That's what Anita Diamant did. She wrote a novel in these gray spaces. But uh, what Pam said in uh, verse 26, <coughs> well, we haven't gotten there yet, but when they come to kill him, it says, they put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword took Dina out of Shechem's house. So, but so I, but in, in argument against that, you could say, they say, but if you don't listen to us, we will take our daughter and go. Meaning, I don't care where she is. We will take her. We'll, we'll come. It's, it doesn't seem to phase them that they have her. 
Like, they're like, if we want her, we'll take her. So uh, that's what happened. either way, you can argue, it doesn't matter. For, for as, far as, as far as I want to always say, it, it doesn't matter. She's, she's going to have to do whatever the men negotiate. So let's look at what the men are negotiating. Well, this is making sense because yeah. Hamor is a prince in the region. Jacob is a wealthy man in the region. Hamor doesn't want to make an enemy now that his son has done all this and he's trying to make peace because he doesn't want to have a war. It's a good deal. Right. It's a good deal. He wants to save face. We can make everybody happy. Like I think of the Sopranos. You know, it's like, you know, wait, wait, we can fix this. Yes, there's been a it's a problem. We have a big honor problem here. But we can fix this in a way that everybody comes out. Nobody has to get their knees broken. There's a way to do this. And they negotiate, right? So that's exactly where we're at. So the sons, Jacob is willing to negotiate. He's discussing it. Right? It's, so there's two yeah. options once your virgin daughter is defiled. He appears to be discussing it because that's not what he does in there. No. Th- no. Yaakov. Yaakov is negotiating. Yeah. The, bro- the, the brothers, brothers, the brothers are pretending. Yeah. No, the yeah. brothers are Aha. Yeah. That's right. So this the is important. I want, that's a good distinction because there's the two possibilities when your virgin you know, girl who's yours and whether you're the father or the brothers, there's two options. You make the deal. It's a good deal. Jacob is not stupid. He doesn't want war. I mean, if you ask my reading, he doesn't want war with this clan. He's a wealthy man. He'll be able to buy property. His daughter, he gets the bride price he wants. She's going to marry the prince of the region. That's a good deal. He's in negotiating in good faith, possibly. Because that's be one. So that's one. So that's one solution, is marry her into that family, right? To the rapist. That's one solution. What's the other solution? Kill him. <laughs> Take revenge and salvage your family's honor by saying anyone messes with one of ours, this is what happens. There's two ways to settle it. Each are equally valid. It depends on what your motivation is. So Jacob seems like he's ready. That's why, that's the only reason I clarified. Jacob, it seems, he's the great negotiator, right? With Lavan for Rachel and Leah and the sheep and the spotted and the speckled and the, right? He's the great negotiator. That's how he got so wealthy. He, it looks like he's ready to make the deal. The brothers, however, and there's two who are the ringleaders, um, they negotiate with Guile. They're like, no way, Jose. Like, you know, not going to happen. They use the circumcision as a ruse. Yeah. They don't care about these boy, these men being circumcised. Yeah, but they, 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 it's a ruse. The whole idea you have to be circumcised to get Dana is to weaken them. Exactly, exactly, them exactly, exactly. So that's what they do. Here we go. Hamor and his son are pleased, right? They go home and they, it turns out they circumcise, right, all the men. The men, uh, we'll go to verse, because we're short on time, 25, verse 25, on the third day, when they were in pain, Shimon and Levi, two of Jacob's sons, brothers of Dina, each took his sword, came upon the city, unmolested, because all the men are recovering, and slew all the males. They put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword, took Dina out of Shechem's house, and went away. The other sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the town. 
<coughs> because their sister had been defiled. <coughs> they seized their flocks and herds and asses, all that was theirs, all their wealth, all their children and their wives, all that was in their houses they took as captives and as booty. Why did I lift up that Jacob seemed to be negotiating in good faith? Because what happens at verse 30? Jacob says to them, you've brought trouble on me, making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My men are few in number. So that if they unite against me and attack me, I and my house will be destroyed. You've put me in an untenable, awful position, you idiots. You hotheads. Did you not think about the numbers here? Have you noticed this is not our territory? What what were you thinking? You you put this family now at the edge of destruction. And what did they answer? Should our sister be treated as a whore? Notice they did not even here suggest rape. Right? What what happens with a whore? gets paid. You pay her. She controls her sexuality. Right? And she gets paid. And so what they're saying is he took her and now he's going to pay? That's the same as prostitute. You know, for them, this is about their honor. This is clearly not about Dina in any way because she might have been happy with the arrangement. We don't know because it doesn't matter. Right? But she might have been happy without arrangement because what's the alternative? We don't know. She wasn't consulted. They don't care because it's not on her to decide anyway. They are not okay with their honor having been besmirched um, because of what he took from them. And so they uh, plunder, they kill all the men, they plunder the town and take their women and their children who will become nubile virgins take them as their own property. In the financial world, this would be considered a, 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 a hostile takeover. <laughs> a hostile takeover. Indeed. And it shows how maturely oriented Jacob must have been. All, it seemed like all he cared about was his, what he had and what he was going to get. So this, this is exactly the kind of story we're dealing with. Yes? Uh, is my memory wrong? My memory wrong. Jacob... Jacob not also later called Israel. Yes. Well, when you go back to line seven, mm-hmm. when you heard the men were uh, about the red, they were grieved and became exe- uh, the English translation here says and became extremely angry because he had committed an outrage against Israel <coughs> by lying with Jacob's daughter. So and this when is I an, saw that. I mm-hmm. said, hmm, that's interesting. Right. This is an anachronism. Right. So this is written later. So the, the omniscient author is writing at a time where Israel is a nation. Oh, I understand, but it sounded like they were... I mean, I don't know what the Hebrew... It means the people of Israel. Israel. Yes. It's, it's not done it's in the, Israel, the land of Israel. Well, but it's interesting. The outrage is against Israel by... Who is Jacob, by the way? By raping Jacob's daughter. It's like the outrage is not against Jacob. It's against Israel, which, by the way, is Jacob. But, but I think but what I'm saying is I think it means the people Israel, oh, yeah. the, the land. It's not Jacob oh, I Israel. Thought, I thought it meant. I thought it meant well. Okay, it's a double entendre, but it really referred to the family or, or more than just Jacob the person. Such a thing's not done in America. 
We don't do that in America. It's the omniscient author writing later, okay. tipping their hand that it's later, looking back. Because okay. such a thing is not done in America before it was America. You know, Sacagawea, you know, is raped by Lewis and Clark. That's not done in America, but it wasn't America yet. You know, but, but it's the later writer talking against American sensibilities. All right, so take your handout. So one thing I found interesting um, is who are the two sons involved in the ringleading of this? And who is Levy? Tell me about Levy. Interesting. Why is that interesting to me, do you think? You, you would think that they would have um, a special quality of um, maybe, you know, I was reading a, a Maimonides commentary about collective judgment and how maybe there were people in that town, men, that were innocent. Did they deserve to die because of, you know, the prince? But then the prince was able to, there were apparently no courts of justice where, um, where the prince was able to kidnap, rape from another tribe. And he is fine. He then can persuade them to get circumcised or get out. So there's not a, they were not morally outraged. And so Maimonides talks about that they had a collective judgment against all the men of that town because they were so morally depraved. Um, did I have a point? <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> so, so Ram, Rambam has to defend Shimon and Levi. If we're not defending oh. them, yeah. what's interesting about Levi being involved here? So as a priest, the priest the sword the sword scattered. <laughs> I mean, he's no, but but it, what's, what's interesting is the tribe of Levi as priests are going to chop off heads a lot. Whose heads do they chop off? Rams, Sinners. Israelites. Right, so it's like, it's like, wow, I didn't really put that together but just until I read this article. that Right, they are ruthless defenders of whatever they consider to be, you know, the honorable thing. And in this case, it's put them all to the sword because of the ra- ravishing of their sister. And later it's going to be, God who says, all right, well, I'll employ that talent. I'll employ that characteristic. So if any of the Israelites violate my boundaries, the Levites will slay them. Because that's their job, is to slay anyone who's going to encroach on the sanctum. Well, that happens once at least. Uh, I forgot who it is. The golden calf incident? They slay people. I'm like, wow, I had never really Well, somebody comes into the thing. temple one time. So Levi is a contract. Right? <laughs> exactly. All right. So, um, so look at, look at the page. I, the numbers got cut off. Um, so look at number one, the back of your second sheet of paper, where you see my box around the text. Second full paragraph, page four. Page four. So she's playing at the early part of the article, which you can read later, on this, that our parsha is Vayishlach, and he sends out, right? So this, and then she goes out, right? So this sense of, and then the, the word for what happens in the Garden of Eden is Adam and Eve are sent out from the Garden of Eden. So um, 
read Sarah at the Torah, however. The Torah, however, seems to show us that accomplishing something important always involves pain, a lawful consequence of creativity and of God wrestling. Eve will create, give birth in pain. Jacob is wounded in his struggle with God or with God's messenger. It is painful to move out of Eden, away from childhood's familiar comforts, away from our families and birthplaces, into Egyptian slavery, into miraculous Red Sea waters and mana-drenched desert wandering, up to Israel, into and out of exile, steadily out into history. Refusing such pain and uncertainty is even more costly. One is left behind among the nations. One is detached from Jewish destiny. Okay. A powerful connection of these words about sending out and that the Dina story, as painful as it is, is one example of once we're sent out, that's life. And it's going to involve pain. It's going to involve risk. It's going to involve danger. It's going to involve calamity. It's going to involve all of these things. This is not an isolated incident. She's looking at the arc um, of Genesis, which I find really powerful. And not even that, into Exodus, right? Into, into that whole arc that, um, that this is one among what it's going to cost to leave Eden, to leave naivete, you know, to, to build civilization, to build a future, to build even the people of Israel and its destiny, that, that there are very painful um, experiences that happen uh, in, in each of our lives that in some way goes to creating who we become and as a people uh, who we've become and incorporating our own painful memories, most recently, of course, of the Shoah. Um, but um, it's an I think it's an important point to see it as part of the, the arc um, of the stories in our text. All right, turn your page. Um, where do I want to go? So she raises some interesting questions. If we go to the page that has my box on the top, the text... Dina bought Leah. Her lineage is given through her mother. Are both Leah and Dina impulsive? Too natural? Is it because they are not loved at home that they go out? Leah from her father, Lavan, and from her husband, Yaakov, who does not love her. Dina from a family in which she is the only daughter and may be lonely for sisters. Or is Dina restless like her grandfather, Avraham? Like him, does she look for the angel and every stranger run out to meet her? Or is Dina expansive like her father Yaakov Yisrael? Or like her grandmother Rivka who went out to meet Abraham's servant Eliezer and who left home to marry a man she had not yet met? Ah, is Dina curious like our great foremother Eve who was so tempted by knowledge? As Dina went out to see the daughters of the land, so Eve saw that the fruit of the tree was good. Is Dina like Eve and like God? 
fated to suffer the inevitable consequences of knowledge and creativity, namely pain. A beautiful set of questions in the gray, right? The area that we don't get um, explicated, but that we certainly can spend some time wondering about. Turn over to the back, the last page. To, to David's you know, question, kind of bringing it to today, go to where it says women were once expected. Women were once expected to marry their rapists. This is no longer true. Dina was not expected to marry Shechem. Once, women were advised to keep quiet about being raped. This is no longer true. Shimon and Levi do not keep quiet about their sister's rape. It is their stated reason for destroying Shechem. In the past, when women attempted to have their rapists prosecuted, they were rarely believed or treated humanely in the courtroom, where most were raped again, this time legally. This is only somewhat less true today. Post-Bosnia and post-Rwanda, for the first time in history, rape is being defined not as the spoils of war, but as a weapon of war and as a war crime. Perhaps our global perception of rape will shift radically once it becomes known that rape is not merely a, quote, personal misunderstanding between a rapist and his victim, but is rather a crime against humanity and a crime against God. Halavai, it should only be uh, in our day, speedily and in our time, uh, that it should come, that our world will understand, right, that 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 it is a crime against humanity. It, it is, for me, in preparing for this morning, I really thought about how many women in this world are still objects of male control. How many are being raped today? The universities are all investigating that because their police and the people, the administration told them to keep quiet, and now, when so many have come forth, the major universities is going on in the last two years. One in four women, by the time they reach college, will have been sexually assaulted. That, that it's happening today to 12-year-olds, 10-year-olds, who are taken and sold as sex slaves. In this country, too. To this country, by the way. Um, that, that it's being used openly as a weapon of war now in... Islamic um, countries where women and children are being dragged out often in public and raped by lots of people in front of their neighbors and friends as a weapon of war, of humiliation. Sarah? The New York Times, I think it was not last Sunday, but the Sunday before, had an article about the difficulty of a superb female pilot who was tops in her pilot group and who was raped and could not get justice. In our military. In our, in our, mil in our own Air Force yeah. because the guy who raped her was needed by his superior as a fine pilot. And her expertise as a pilot was uh, whitewashed, ignored. Uh, I understand that in 
among some fundamentalist uh, groups, uh, a woman who has been raped can be killed by her family. 100 percent. To honor his death. So this is beyond uh, the spoils of war. This is a woman who can't get justice with her own with her own family. Yep. That because we live in a world that I guess that was my point earlier when we were talking about it. That we live in a world where still this still happens, right? That that the honor of the men is tied to her sexuality because she's not considered in control of her own sexuality. She doesn't have a right to her own sexuality because she's not her own person, right? It's reflective of the family, of the male's status. And you know, in thinking even larger than that, when we're talking about women's destinies being controlled by men, certainly not to this point, but then I started thinking, like, if we really think about it, you know, how many women are in Congress? How many women are in the House? If we look at our own government, has there ever been a woman president? So even still, I as a woman, in the, in the best of circumstances, America, 2014, in a wealthy part of L.A., I, in a status position, a male status position as rabbi, even I, when I really thought of it this morning, went, <laughs> even my destiny, you know, to some extent, is largely controlled by men. And I have it the best. So we're just, on the one hand, thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God we are where we are, thank God, thank God. And let us use this morning's Parsha to reinvigorate our commitment to helping in the ways that we can to bring the world, which is still so horrifically not there in terms of protecting women's and girls' rights to their own destinies. Um, let us renew our commitment to doing what we can uh, to influence uh, this world for the better for, for all people because we know uh, when women are educated and when women are treated uh, as um, having the same rights and responsibilities as men, men benefit. Every, everybody benefits. So uh, let us let us ask that that happens speedily and in our own day. Shabbat shalom. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.